You're listening to The Real Wealth Show with Kathy Fetke, the real estate investor's resource. If you want to own rental property but want to avoid some of the mistakes that other investors have made, you'll learn a lot from today's interview. Our guest became an accidental landlord and found out the hard way that active management of rentals can be a lot of work. But he quickly learned that having good property managers that send you checks every month is the better way to go. I'm Kathy Fedke, and welcome to The Real Wealth Show. In this episode, Jim Pfeiffer tells some interesting stories about the mistakes he made along the way, so you don't have to repeat them. Jim is a former financial advisor and stock market investor who has turned his attention to real assets. He has more than 45 passive syndications under his belt, including apartments, mobile homes, self-storage, private lending, and notes. And as the founder of Left Field Investors, he also helps other people get started in passive real estate investing. So Jim, welcome to The Real Wealth Show. So let's talk about your journey. There's been ups and downs, lots of learning lessons. Uh, So how did you get started as an investor? Well, I was uh, I was always a big stock market guy, mutual funds, and all that. And then um, in 2008, we uh, we built a new house when my son was born, and we couldn't sell our old one, and so I became an accidental landlord. And for five years, I rented that house out, and I didn't like any of it because it was close <laughs> to our current house. I was constantly going over there to fix things. I mean, the guy took great care of the house. He made me take my shoes off when I was walking in it, um, but it was just a hassle, you know, small things, and I, I wasn't really into it. So after about five years, the market changed and I went to sell it. And my realtor said, hey, instead of selling it, why don't you let me manage it and let's go buy some more. And, you know, I'd I'd become a financial advisor during that time and I was learning more about money and that house was paid off. And I realized that, you know, the equity in that house earns zero, zero percent return. And so we went and got uh, got a, a loan on it and bought two more houses from my realtor. And so now I turned one cash flowing asset that was a hassle to me into three cash flowing assets that somebody else managed. And it was, it was great. And that's, and I I got hooked on real estate right there. Oh, that's a great story. I I know people who are today still buying properties with cash, um, obviously in a more affordable markets. I think, um, you know, there's, there's sort of the leverage side and the cash side. Some people just really don't want to have any liabilities and just want that cash flow. Um, so you could have gone from one pain in the butt property to three of them, but something changed where it wasn't more work, even though you had more property and more debt. So why is that? It, it was the property manager. And, and as, as we go through my story, you'll find out that's, that's the key to everything for me. Um, I still have that property manager. Those were suburban properties. So, you know, once I learned a little bit more about um, you know the one percent rule, and 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 just kind of how to how to get the most out of properties. I realized those aren't the best cash flowing properties, but they were a good entrance point. They're in really good neighborhoods. They um, they've appreciated a lot, and so they're they're quality properties. But the main thing is the property manager is incredible. I don't hear from him. He does everything. It's just you know I get a check every month, and that's the kind of relationship I want when I'm trying to be a passive investor. And that was a huge difference from me managing it myself which was a complete hassle. You know, I didn't, I didn't want to do that. And so um, this property manager is great. I still use him. And then later I branched out and, and had, some, had some regrets. Okay, let's talk about that. Because I'm, I'm thinking right now, we still are self-managing a property uh, nearby in Rich, 
just came home yesterday and said, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. And I was thinking, wait, why, why are we managing? <laughs> right. Amazing. I know better, but you know, sometimes when it's just down the street, it's like, Oh, you know, it's easy, but it's not, it's not, there's still stuff to do. And is it in your pay grade? I guess is the question. Um, so what, yeah. What are some of the lessons? Yeah. The harder lessons that you learned. Well, so I, I did branch out um, initially. And, and after this, I got stuck on real estate and really into it. And so I thought, well, one unit's great. Let's let's do more. Why don't I buy a four unit? And I was kind of convinced by a new realtor to, to buy a 22 unit. And, and that wasn't really me. But th- those ended up, I didn't manage them well, but we made money because of the market. But mm-hmm. really what I, then I kind of pivoted again and I started looking at turnkey single family homes. And I met a guy from Indian Indianapolis, he was buying homes that were, you know, less than $50,000. And I didn't know what I was doing at this point. Um, but I talked to him, I talked to referrals of his that, you know, people that have invested with him. He was on a, a network news program. So he had some cr- credibility there. And he said, Hey, buy this house for, for 50 grand, we'll fix it up. Then you can do the Burr method, you know, where you, you, you take all your money out when you refi it after it's completely uh, rehabbed. And I thought, you know what, this sounds a little bit fishy. But I didn't listen to my gut and I went for it because I thought, you know what, I'm going to spend $38,000, I think. And if I lose it all, I've learned something. I don't think I'll lose it, but I I just wanted to try it because it seemed repeatable. Um, It was a disaster. You know, I the only thing that saved me is that it was in Indianapolis, which is close to where I live. So I drove out there a few times to inspect it. But, you know, I couldn't find a bank to refinance it. The uh, property manager poor communication. I was suspicious about things. I finally asked for a copy, an updated copy of the lease. And it turns out they forged the lease. Oh, and they were, yeah, it was great. They were paying me more than they were collecting from the tenant. Oh, Um, yeah, it was weird because they had made all these promises to a bunch of investors. And I I don't think they intentionally uh, meant to defraud people, but what ended up happening is they made all kinds of promises. They didn't have enough crews to do the work. So it was like a Ponzi scheme. They just kept selling new houses. And if you didn't visit, they wouldn't rehab your house. They would just start paying you rent as if your house was rehabbed. Like me, because I visited, they actually put a tenant in there and did the rehab, but they couldn't get the rent that they promised me from the tenant. So they paid me that anyway. Um, Once I figured all that out, because one of their employees accidentally sent out an email that was supposed to BCC all the investors, they they actually CC'd the investors. So we all got each other's emails and started sharing information. Oh. Yeah. And that's when the thing the blew up. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's so amazing. In the end, I ended up switching property managers and getting away from these guys. And, um, you know, the property manager was okay, but it was, you know, these properties were, we were told that nurses and mailmen and, and, you know, people like that would live there. And they were just, they were $40,000 properties in bad neighborhoods in Indianapolis and it just didn't work. So I eventually sold that property. And then I went the route of finding a, a, a turnkey through a, provi- a provider um, that has a, like like you guys do, has a list of, of um, turnkey operators that they work with. And, and I went to Memphis and got, got involved with somebody there. So let's go back to the situation. I know who you're talking about. And um, it's pretty easy to do a, a Google search on this person. Yes. Um, I've actually had him on, uh, the real well show, but we took that down when we found out um, some of these things. I'm just curious how you could have known if you know, what if you knew what you know today, how could you have prevented that fraud or that situation from happening again? Well, I, I think I would have realized that, um, you know, the, 
the difference between the information, he sent me a one page piece of paper and said, you need to buy this house now, or it's going to go, someone else is going to buy it. So there's a lot of pressure and not very much information. Mm, and that is, I've, that is the number one red flag. No, if you're pressured, yeah. walk away. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, he had top notch referrals. I talked to three or four different people. I thought I was, but I also had a feeling in my gut, like, I don't know if I believe this, but I wanted to do it anyway, because, you know, I know $40,000 is a lot of money, but I felt like the risk was, was low. And there are people that lost everything. And so I was really oh. fortunate, but I did go visit the property. So I, I, I also think that's important. But what I do now when I'm investing, and I do more syndication stuff now, um, but I only invest with operators that are referred to me by somebody that I already know, like, and trust. Mm. And they have already invested with that person. So that gives me great confidence. Like, you know, yeah. if I was to do turnkey again, which I'm not really doing that anymore, but if I was to do that again, I already know some people that are working with your network. So that would give me some confidence. You know, I just yeah. wasn't with the right people, I don't think. And there's ways to, to get with the right people if you if you have a network. And I, that's why I think the, a network and a community are critical. It is really important. But even if you don't have that there, there are ways to protect yourself. It is more risky to do a burr. And, and to explain to people what that means, um, buy, renovate, refi, repeat. Did I get it? Yeah, rent is in there somewhere, but yeah. Rent, rent is in there yeah. too, another R. <laughs> going, um, right. So, you know, the idea is credible, right? You, you buy a property, you increase it by in value by at least 20% by improving it. And then you go to the bank and refi and they, they give you an 80% LTV loan. So you get all your money back and repeat. That's the, the last word in it. Buy, right. renovate, rent, repeat. Yeah. Yep. Um, so the idea, it makes sense. However, if you're doing it, if you don't have experience in renovation or if you're using a company far away that you have to trust to do that renovation for you, it's just riskier than buying a property that's already renovated, right? Be or that's brand new. Because if it's already renovated, you can get that inspection and find out what's been done or if it has been done and so forth and get, get an appraisal. But if you're buying a property before it's been um you know, uh, renovate. If you're buying a property before it's been renovated, then you have to trust that they're going to do it properly, but you've already bought the property. It's already yours. Right. So there's definitely more risk there. In that yeah. case, some yeah. of the things that I've seen people do is get an appraisal for sure, even though it's not fixed up so that at least, you know, the value and the appraiser can give you an after repair value if you request that. And then there needs to be inspections for every phase of the renovation before you pay. And a lot of times people will pay for that renovation in those deals before it's done. And boy, that's a recipe for disaster, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I completely agree. And I also would, would add to that, that, you know, doing a, the Burr method is it's hard to do it if you're a passive investor, right? It, it's more suited to active investing. And in fact, when they yeah. came up with those terms and the things people do, that's what active investors do. And if you're passive, it's just unlikely you're going to be able to, to do that. And I was I was really wanting to be passive, and I was really aggressively find, trying to find a, an operator who would do this Burr strategy with me. And I think part of it was I just needed to realize that's not compatible with what I want to do, which is be a passive investor. And, and if you're active, you can push returns. You can do a lot more things, um, but it takes a lot more work. And I wasn't willing to do that. So I think I was kind of, um, there, there was a disconnect there. 
trying to be passive in an active investment. That's yes. I, I get it. We had so many of our members at Real Wealth tell us we want the Burr model, and we did it. We had some teams, um, good teams, reliable. But anytime you renovate a property, you're going to run into surprises. There could be issues behind the wall. Rich and I bought a house uh, that we ended up living in that was a disaster because we didn't know. The inspector didn't see it. Uh, but once we started to do the renovation, oh, there was all kinds of proper, uh, problems with the property. And this is one that we saw that, you know, we, we were there for the inspection and we were very hands-on. So it is definitely, definitely, definitely more risky to... Yes be involved in the renovation and to own the property, to buy the property before the renovation has been done, you better have reserves, right? You better, and you better be on top of it and make sure that the renovations are being done properly. So yeah, really good information. I I love the Burr model. I'm very hesitant to do it as well. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So then looking, but, but then there are lots of teams that call themselves turnkey and say they're going to do the renovations, and they can be fraudulent as well. So have you have you seen that situation? Yeah, I think that, so the, the next, I moved into Memphis, as I, as I said, and, um, <clears throat> you know, part of it was I had a, a turnkey company and then a different property manager, and they weren't affiliated, and that caused some issues too. I had, it really, it comes down to me, uh, it was the property management that was a problem. I had poor communication, high turnover, you know, I had an AC unit that was stolen and I'm not sure that they really replaced it because I was in, it was in Tennessee. You know, I did go visit. I think that's important, but um, I ended up having to replace the property manager. And then I had a second one that wasn't much better. And it just got really frustrating because I was managing property managers. And again, that's not passive to me. Um, where I think if you have property managers that are doing a much better job, you don't have to manage them as well. Like my my local guy, um, I, we we hardly talk anymore because all he does is send me checks, and that's kind of what I was looking for <laughs> in in the passive mode. But with these Memphis yeah. properties, um, even though I went and visited, I saw what they were doing. Um, I liked the operation. They just didn't live up to what they said they would, and it was mostly just communication and and high turnover. And so the properties weren't cash flowing like they were supposed to. So it got really frustrating. I mean, I was very lucky because the market kind of saved me um, because the market had appreciated so much. I finally decided I'm I'm done with this. And I, I ended up selling all four of my Memphis properties and I, and I made money, but it's not how I thought it was going to go. And it's not how I wanted it to go. Yeah. Property management, it, it's a tough business. And some of the things we have a whole checklist at Real Wealth. If people join uh, Real Wealth Network, they can they can download that checklist of what to look for in property management. But boy, they better have their systems in place. Uh, they they better have um, experienced property managers on staff that can deal with all kinds of personalities. I mean, the reason we don't like managing our own properties is because you're dealing with all kinds of people out there, some of whom uh, don't like landlords and don't want to pay landlords. You know, right. So, so yeah, it's all the management uh, company has to have great personal personnel skills, as well as also be they have to be nice and likable but tough at the same time. Um, so it's yeah. it's a it's a tough business, and then be good at repairs, right? Right, uh, and that that was part of it too. Is they would outsource the repairs um, to somebody else, and then they would they would charge you know a ten percent upcharge on it. Which I get it, you have to do the upcharges and stuff, but they do that even on utilities and, and other things. So it just felt like I was getting nickel and dimed. And, 
you know, I don't mind the turnkey operator making money or the property manager making money, but I have to be making money also. And if they're the only ones making money and I can't have any cash flow because they're upcharging or AC units keep getting stolen and they're not securing them when, you know, that's kind of their job. They should know, hey, people are stealing this stuff. We're going to lock it down. Um, but they just they just didn't. And um, so for me, the property manager is the key. And and to find a good property manager, that's that's a very difficult thing. And so if you're doing turnkey, my new approach um, would be to find an operator who knows what they're doing and can connect me with quality property managers and quality turnkey companies like the setup you guys have. Um, had I met you sooner, you know, I would have I probably would have had a better experience, but I just wasn't in the right um the right sphere of influence, I guess. Oh, thank you. I mean, it. we run over the past 15 years, we've run into everything that you've just said. We were buying super cheap properties in Indianapolis, right. You know, right after the foreclosure crisis, I was bringing busloads of people to buy those 20, $30,000 homes. Why, why would you not? But what we quickly learned is that when you're in a full foreclosure neighborhood or you know, it can it can be a good neighborhood that turns into a high crime neighborhood really quickly when there's 24 closures on that street. Uh, right. So it it was it was challenging times. Uh, we have since learned that you know crime rates are a big thing we look at, and just making sure that it's, it's a highly owner occupied area. If there's a lot of non non owner occupied, a lot of tenants in the area, then uh, we want to make sure that that there's maybe this very good property management in there. Like, you know, you see the build to rent neighborhoods where there's maybe a hundred homes all rental, but hopefully they're all under one property management company, like a horizontal apartment. So lots of learning for both of us along the way. It takes some time with the learning and all the hard knocks. Would you, would you, would you still have done it? Would you still have chosen this path? Knowing what you yeah, know. you know, I am super grateful for the real estate and and the, the lessons I've learned. You know, I'm not doing turnkey anymore. Like I said, I'm more into uh, different types of real estate syndications because then I have an asset manager that manages the property manager, and that's just more comfortable for me. But I never would have gotten here had I not had this journey. If I hadn't had these difficult lessons, and you know, some of them I still made money on, some of them I lost a little bit money on. But it took. I think that's what everybody has to do in real estate. You really have to find your spot. At first, I thought I was going to be, you know, a, a, a turnkey person, or that, then I thought, well, I'm going to do multifamily and, and active investing. And, and I finally figured out that what suits me best is to be a passive investor in things where someone else is managing it for me. And so I can analyze the deal, analyze the operators. I feel like I've, I've gotten a lot better at analyzing operators, whether they're turnkey or syndications, whatever it is, but that's where I, that's where I feel comfortable. So would I change it? I, I really wouldn't because I've learned so much. And you know, you learn a lot through failure and, and I failed along the way. And even on some of my failures, I got lucky and the market rescued me. But now, you know, I, I'm I'm in a different place and I feel like I, I have a lot more knowledge. And um, so yes, I'm I'm glad I went through it. You can't always sail through easy, otherwise you're not really learning, in my opinion. Yeah, that's great, great advice. What do you look for in syndications? Are you investing in other people's syndications? Yeah, yeah. So I, I I I try to diversify by asset class, by market, and by operator. So we have so I'm in you know all the multifamily. I'm in self storage, mobile homes, things like that, and in a lot of different markets. But the key to me, it's the same. It's the exact same as if you're going to be a turnkey investor. Is the operator is the key? Whether it's the the person that is providing you the connections to the turnkey or the property manager, 
or on the syndication side, it's the actual operator. Those people, you really have to get to know them, get to trust them. And, and they're the ones that are going to put you on the right path, right? Because they're either managing your investment or directing you to one. And if you don't find quality operators, you're not going to find quality investments and you're going to be frustrated like I was. And so now I insist on you know proper communication, proper reporting and all this from the people that I deal with, whether it's a turnkey or syndicator, doesn't matter. The operator has to be willing to communicate be honest about how things are going, and then also provide regular reports. And if you do that, I can deal with it if, if a deal doesn't go as well as planned, right? As long as you're communicating. And that's kind of how I feel um, about syndications or, or any investment, really. Yeah, great advice. Yeah, one of the things that we've learned over the years in our syndications are the ones that, that uh, I've done. Some have been knocked out of the park, like just crazy good, uh, 40% returns on some of them. And then others, not at all and have had losses. What I've discovered is the the operator, like you said, even if it's a good person, uh, but they don't have necessarily experience in that thing, it may be a great idea, a great opportunity. But if if they haven't done that thing over and over again, then you're taking a risk and Absolutely. you're taking a gamble. It could go amazing, but it also could not. And, and that's, that's, I talked about it on the past show. We did a, a wine village, you know, cool idea, really sexy, you know, in California, tasty, who wouldn't want to be in a part owner in that, but this is not something the operator had done before. And, uh, and it was hard and still is hard and we're still dealing with it. So, yeah. you know, when looking at the operator, in addition to checking them out, doing background checks, making sure they're, you know, don't have felons or, you know, felonies or anything. Right talking to people, Google search, you can find out so much with Google. So even if they're good people, uh, and even if the project looks good, they better have someone on the team that's really, really done it before and knows what they're doing. Yeah, that's, that's a, that's a great point. And one of the other times that I lost money in syndications, one of the few times was when I was an operator was a turnkey company in, in Texas, and they decided the the market wasn't, uh, they couldn't, you know, make money in Dallas anymore. So they decided to switch to office buildings and CBD equipment. And I was like, okay, great. They did a great job on turnkeys. I'm sure this will be fine. And it wasn't because they had no idea what they were doing, right? (laughs) Just like you said, that's how you lose money. Um, You need to have a quality operator, but also the quality operator has to have experience in whatever that asset class is. I don't want to be anybody's guinea pig. So if you're going to try something new, you know, call me after, after the first deal or hire someone who's actually done that. And then I yes. might uh, look into it. So I think that's great advice. Yeah, the, they're, the, the board of directors or you know the, the management team has to have somebody with experience in that asset class because you know again even if even in the Shasta Wine Village this was a very experienced developer you built a lot of things but not that so right. there's a lot more to it. All right, well it's been really a pleasure having you here on the Real Wealth Show. Thank you so much for being here. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Thanks, Kathy. Appreciate it. And thank you for joining me here on The Real Wealth Show. If you want to know more about the ins and outs of real estate investing, you can go to realwealthshow.com where you'll get access to over 500 free webinars on the topic and also get referrals to teams across the country who can help you acquire properties and have property management in place. And you can do that at realwealthshow.com. Views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only.
and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to realwealthshow.com.